Hey, Salt Lake, at the risk of being too personal, is your mattress sagging? If you are rolling into a taco every night, I am begging you to visit your local mattress warehouse and just try something a little firmer. Your spine is the center of your being, and I don't just want you to have good posture. I want you to Disney princess your way around this city, flush with optimism from a good night's sleep. Visit mattresswarehouseutah.com to find the location nearest you. That's mattresswarehouseutah.com. Here's what Salt Lake's talking about. We are in the middle of a primary election right now. Plus, are we about to see the triumphant return of the Hoberman Arch? Salt Lake Tribune reporter Andy Larson is here to round up the news with me and to share our picks of the week. It's Friday, August 25th. I'm Ali Vallarta, and this is CityCast Salt Lake. Good morning, Andy Larson. Have you voted yet? I have not voted yet. It's a it's a little too soon for that. But nevertheless, uh, there are still things that are going on that will affect when I vote. I'll, I'll say that much. OK, well, we are in a primary election right now in this moment. And it sounds like potentially the Utah GOP's last. Please tell me about this. I know you've been digging into it. Yeah. So last week, they officially announced that the Utah GOP next year in 2024 for their presidential nomination process, they will not be doing a traditional primary. And instead, they were going back kind of to the old school days of in-person caucuses, meeting <sighs> at high school classrooms and, and churches across Salt Lake City in Utah, getting people in person to vote again on on who our elected officials are going to be. I mean, tinfoil hat on over here. Is this just because primary elections tend to favor moderate candidates? Because we know that Utah GOP conventions tend to favor more right wing candidates. Yes. So essentially, for sure, that's why it is. Uh, and, and, you know, okay. the, the party chairs. Tinfoil hat off. Yeah. I mean, it's it, this is not a tinfoil thing, right? Like kind of the excuse is that you can save some money if you run caucuses rather than the primary because it's so informal and you literally just ask a bunch of people in a room how many people you voted. You send it over to the party and that's kind of it. It is cheaper than running like a primary election, but it is something that the state already has paid for. And, you know, the party chair is essentially saying, hey, the biggest reason we're doing this is because we want people involved in the political process. We want people to have to talk to your your neighborhood delegate or whatever it might be in order to uh, kind of be part of this process. That's an Mm -hmm. excuse. It really is because it does change the electorate in significant ways. Uh, which is something I studied for my article this week at the Salt Lake Tribune. I'm curious how some Utah leaders are feeling about this decision, namely Governor Spencer Cox, because when he was lieutenant governor, and that's the person who runs the elections in our state, I mean, the mail ballot, how easy it is to vote in Utah, the kind of participation we see because your ballot arrives at your door and you can drop it in your mailbox, like that's something the state brags about. There's no way the lieutenant governor's office is stoked on this. 
No, they're not. And and I mean, Spencer Cox said when he was asked about it at his monthly press conference, he said he kind of referenced the last time they, they ran caucuses in 2016. And a whole bunch of weird stuff happened where they almost ousted Governor Gary Herbert. They went away <laughs> oh from Mitt Romney and instead tried to elect State Senator Mike Kennedy and went for Chris Herod over John Curtis in, in that congressional district. Spencer Cox said, you know, last week, hey, those delegates selected did not represent the totality of the Republican Party at all. And in fact, you know, once, you know, Utahns did get the chance to vote, you know, and vote for those candidates selected through the count my vote process, the signature gathering process. Yeah, they chose Mitt Romney and they chose uh, Governor Gary Herbert and they chose John Curtis. They chose, again, these kind of more moderate candidates when compared to the rest of the party. And and so I, I think that's really interesting. So th- the other thing is you, you reduce turnout hugely. Last time we did Republican caucuses, 177,000 Republicans participated. When we used a traditional primary in 2020, 345,000 Republicans participated in, in the state. So literally you just double your turnout by not making people come to a one to two hour meeting where they have to talk politics with their neighbors. I mean, honestly, as much as people love politics and but I, I don't want to talk about it with my crazy neighbors, frankly, you know, like no. I it, it's just not a fun time, nor, you know, if I have kids, if I have a job, if I have other obligations, it's hard to find that time in a random weekday night. No. And like, despite what some members of the Republican Party might think about the current state of American society, we are not in a Norman Rockwell painting. And like people do not, I don't think, want to spend their evening standing around some high school gym bickering and like getting placed into corners. I mean, caucusing across the board has proven itself to be honestly somewhat of a disaster. I mean, remember when the Democrats were doing it? And what was that, 20? That was the 2020 in Iowa. Yeah, yeah. Iowa and the the men running around with the little iPads. And it was like, <laughs> oh, my God, it was horrible to witness. Like, it is so dysfunctional and exhausting. Well, and, and honestly, it was a failure here in Utah in 2016, too, where they tried to do some version of online voting. That was kind of the olive branch to people who couldn't go to their caucus place and vote. And it failed too. Like, like their online system was a nightmare. Honestly, the only reason that makes sense, given the the successful primaries that we've had in the past, the failure the failure of caucuses that we've had in the past, is because you do want to change the outcome of these votes in some way. And and you know, I think the the party talks about wanting to take its party back. I think they are worried about kind of the vote switching, even though the vote switching will be way outnumbered by just a number of real true Republicans who don't vote as a result of, of this decision. Right. By vote switching, you mean Democrats registering as Republicans in Utah so that they can have a say in elections. Yeah. I Correct, mean, yeah. I remember sitting at that Chris Herod and John Curtis Congressional District 3 debate in 2018. I think this is a pretty good example of the difference between the candidates is like John Curtis, former mayor of Provo, Chris Herod, the candidate was sort of grilling him on the fact that Provo shouldn't be investing in a bus system. And it was like, there are absolutely Republicans that take the bus. There are absolutely probably a a large number of members of the Republican Party that are supportive of public transit Mm -hmm. baseline, right? Like, I'm a little bit disturbed by this. Is this a done deal? Yeah, this is a done deal. It is. Can I tell you one more thing about like your Norman Rockwell painting thing? Because it it, it is (laughs) totally. So I I, I crunched the numbers this week. There's this thing called the Congressional Election Study has talked to over 600,000 Americans. um, And I can compare 
kind of who votes in primaries and who votes in caucuses in Utah. When you run caucuses, your electorate turns out to be 60% male compared to, you know, 50% in your normal population. So all of a sudden Mm -hmm. you're getting a whole lot of dudes. You're getting significantly more white people, 91% to 87%. You're getting Mm -hmm. people who attend church at least weekly, 56% of the time compared to 46% of the time in kind of, again, our overall population. You're getting 80% of people with no kids under 18. Uh, You're getting 27, 28% retired people compared to 15% in the overall population. And you're getting the economic and income of, uh, of these people is, is way higher because, again, they have time to waste on a caucus rather than, like, doing their second job or taking the bus or, you know, whatever it is that, like, right. these people who have normal everyday lives do on a normal weekday night. It does change who actually votes in a, in a significant way. Yeah, it sounds a little bit less town hall, more tennis court oath. Like, it you if you describe a caucus in its purest form, you would hear the description and think, "Man, that's democracy at its finest." Like that, there's something pure about like getting everyone in the room and hashing it out. But in reality, the way that it plays out, it sounds like it is bad for representative democracy based on that data. There are barriers to getting everyone in a room and figuring it out. <laughs> you know, like yeah, that completely. that process is, it, you know, requires people to show up. It requires people to be outspoken. It requires people to care, frankly. A lot of people don't vote in primaries already, right? Like uh, right. primary turnout isn't great as it is. Caucus turnout is in the five to 10% range. That's an F. That's a failing. Yeah. Rate. Yeah. Well, I've gotten a 10% before <laughs> once in a humanities class, and I know that it is an F. <laughs> Well, before we move on, ballots have been mailed. Early voting in Salt Lake County started on Monday, which is why it is a fair question to ask you if you've voted or not yet, Andy. And um, so I do want to give just like a little bit of election info for anyone listening who's either got a ballot sitting on the counter or would like to figure out how to get involved in this primary election that we're in right now. The, the top ticket item is Congressional District 2, where Representative Chris Stewart sort of unexpectedly resigned after a, wow, just a slog through the convention system. We have three Republican candidates that are on your ballot. Celeste Malloy is sort of, I would say, the institutional candidate. She's former Chris Stewart staffer. She's endorsed by the former congressman or I guess still current congressman. Um, you've got former Republican National Committeeman Bruce Huff, who here's what I need to know about him. He is the father of Julianne and Derek Huff, the like oh, famed really? Dancing with the Stars siblings. I did not know did that. Did you know that? No, that's... Yeah, those are his kids. <laughs> huh. um, so he's, we'll call him the celebrity candidate. Okay. And then former state senator Becky Edwards, and I would call her the returning candidate because she has most recently run for that Mikeley Senate seat in this state. So that's why her name is pretty familiar. Those epithets I gave for all those people are not good enough reasons to make a voting decision. You should read their websites and some of the fantastic voter guides that are circulating online. Your colleagues, Andy, at the Salt Lake Tribune have done a really great job putting together a Salt Lake County voting guide that includes the local primaries. So like we have some municipal primaries happening in the county, Brighton, Bluffdale, Cottonwood Heights, a handful of cities in Salt Lake County have primaries. So you might've gotten a ballot for those. Though in Salt Lake City, we have no primary because we are ranked choice voting this year, which means we'll get one ballot in November and we'll just rank the candidates basically the ones that we can live with from favorite to least favorite. 
Um, I will link in the show notes the Salt Lake Tribune's Salt Lake County Voter Guide and also County Clerk Lanny Chapman's website, which is so well laid out and has so much great information about how you can still. Today is the deadline to register to vote, so you can still get that done today if you're listening to this episode Friday. Primary election day is September 5th. We will link all those resources for you listeners in the show notes and for you too, Andy, since you haven't voted yet. Salt Lake City, what if this is the year you host Easter dinner or brunch? Harmon's makes big meals easy to prepare with delicious holiday specialties made from scratch. Just heat and serve, baby. Lay a pre-cooked honey ham on the table and absorb the compliments from your family or friends. They don't need to know you napped instead of staring down the oven. And if you're not the host but need something to bring, here are just a few of my favorite spring ideas. First of all, Harmon's fragrant Easter lilies will impress anybody's mom or delight a neighbor. Now there's no need to even heat up a pre-made side like deviled eggs or fresh cut pineapple, but bonus points if you transfer them into your own dish. And as listeners of this show well know, I will lose my mind if you show up to my house with Harmon's hot cross buns. I invite you to make some new Easter traditions with Harmon's. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. All right, Andy, you know I love to gossip about politics, but there is one piece of news this week that nearly ejected me from my seat, and that is that we are, I would say with 99% certainty, about to see the return of the Hoberman Arch, something I, a piece of Salt Lake lore that I am truly so obsessed with that I will tell you, the story of the Hoberman Arch was my audition tape for this city cast Salt Lake job. <laughs> so it is extremely important to you. I, and I admit that I know I knew nothing about it uh, before you told me about it. So you might have to tell other people about it, too. What What is this arch? Listen, I expected that. Part of the reason I'm obsessed with this story is because I just think it's like such a, a like little like microcosm of how like something so great can kind of go so wrong when it's in the hands of like bureaucracy and like local politics. <laughs> yeah. So in that way, I guess the Hoberman Arch is kind of a political story. But basically what you need to know, if you weren't here for the 2002 Olympic Games, the Olympic Committee at the time was like, look, we got this big Olympic Games. The run-up to it has been an absolute catastrophe. <laughs> like, we are in the wake of September 11th. We need to commission something so grand, so exquisite, so iconic that, like, people will really feel it, that it can be the epicenter of our metal plaza. And that thing ended up being the Hoberman Arch. It was commissioned by this artist named Chuck Hoberman. Okay. So basically it's like a stage with a semicircular aluminum structure over it. It's 36 feet tall and 72 feet wide. And and the stage has this 
basically metal curtain, like this aluminum curtain that comes down, like that retracts and then like closes. And what it's meant to look like is both delicate arch and an eyeball, like an eye opening and closing. I, I think it's kind of a failure on both uh, <laughs> categories there. I, you know, I, yeah. It's it's kind of steampunk. That being said, I will say that. Yeah, I I think it looks cool. I remember it from the Olympics. It was like a cool like centerpiece. It was a feature, you know, like it mm-hmm. was like, yeah, that's cool that the thing is in our city as a as an 11-year-old growing up in Salt Lake. Well, and at the time, and of course, this is based on, I will say, the Wikipedia article. It has not been deeply fact-checked, <laughs> but according to the Wikipedia article, which Man, the way they described this thing on Wikipedia, it was abs- that article was written by whoever designed this arch. Like, <laughs> uh, they, they, you would think it's God's creation. It was, at the time, the largest unfolding structure in the world, whatever that means, right? So, like, this wow. was Utah's BDE, you know? <laughs> it was used as a stage during the Olympics. And, like, here's a real time capsule. Here are three bands that performed on that stage. Brooks and Dunn. Creed and the Dave Matthews Band. (laughs) What an honor. So basically, like, what happened after the Olympics is that this arch was moved to the, what is now the Olympic Cauldron Plaza at Rice-Eccles Stadium at the University of Utah. Was it moved immediately there? Basically, as I understand it, it was like pretty quickly sent up there because they couldn't really figure, I mean, the thing was big and they couldn't like really figure out what to do with it and really cumbersome to move, like expensive. And so the University of Utah was like, we'll take it, we'll put it at the Olympic Plaza. And then by 2014, the University of Utah said to the city, this thing has got to go. Like, please take it. So they asked the city, their kind of contract with the city ended, and they said the city had to move it. And the city could not find anywhere to put it. So they spent $116,000 to move it to an impound lot on 500 South, where it sat for September, October, November, December, about like four or five months, before one fateful Saturday at 1.20 p.m., A man was seen by a witness hucking pieces of metal from this arch into the back of a small pickup truck. A woman was at the wheel. In broad daylight, a woman was at the wheel and they tried to take off and presumably were going to sell it for scrap. So the city was like, now what? Like, this is the, the disgrace of our sort of like, you know. Piece de resistance. <laughs> and so they moved it to an undisclosed location. Nobody has really known but a handful of people where this thing even is in the city. So it's in some warehouse somewhere. Yes, we know it's indoors. I, I don't get why we can't figure out a place to put this. Can't we just put it in Pioneer Park and be like, this is a symbol of Pioneer Park's revitalization. Can't we put it in Liberty so. and be like, you can play on this in front of the pond, you know? I, I like. It seems like yeah. an easy fix to me. Just put it somewhere and then that's where it'll be. You bring up a really important point, which is the person who really wanted this arch to be moved to exactly that, Pioneer Park, was former mayor Rocky Anderson. Because during the 2002 Olympics, he was the mayor of Salt Lake City. He was therefore on the committee. And like this arch, I would make the claim that it was a little bit his baby. And watching the arch 
be sort of deconstructed phase by phase into being in an impound lot and later in probably a dungeon in Draper, like has been upsetting to him. And he's been very forthcoming about that. He wanted it in Pioneer Park. He wanted an ice rink to be there. He wanted an Olympic garden. Like he thought that it deserved something triumphant. Of course, former Mayor Rocky Anderson is currently the most significant contender in this mayoral race that we are in uh, against current Mayor Aaron Mendenhall. And that is important context because Andy Larson, this week, the Salt Lake City Airport sent a press release saying that they were very excited to unveil next week a, quote, 31,000-pound, 4,000-piece art feature that resembles a human iris at the Salt Lake Airport. But they did not specifically name what it will be. They are teasing it is absolutely the Hoberman Arch, and it's going to be at the Salt Lake. It is going to be our Denver horse. (laughs) So it's not in the airport. It's, like, outside and, like, as you drive by. Unclear. We don't know. Okay. We don't know where it's gonna be. But we know it's gonna be at the airport and I would put $1,000 on current Mayor Mendenhall cutting that ribbon and side-eyeing her greatest challenger in this mayoral race right now while doing it because she's gonna be the mayor that brought back the Hoberman Arch. All right, explain explain the politics of this to me. So why didn't previous mayors stick one to Rocky by putting it Somewhere, right? I I don't understand the personal games that are being played here, although I'm very, very interested about the drama. Well, I don't think that the political intrigue is the direct cause for this. I think this is probably part of Salt Lake trying to generate hype around its Olympic bid. Because we've been told now, they keep pushing out us finding out when we're going to host the Olympics, which is incredibly likely, whether it's 2030, 2034. And so I think this is all probably more part of getting the city hyped. Cool. But it is not lost on me, the irony. And I think for a, like a long time, if you go back and read some of the reporting like in the paper of record in the Salt Lake Tribune about the arch, like it is a lot of elected officials kind of like being either pro-arch or anti-arch, like in quotes in the paper. Is it the 2002 you know I mean? whale? Yeah, it is kind of the 2002 whale. I mean... There are people that were part of the Olympic Committee and that were stoked on the arch that are people that have had some difficult relationships with other elected officials in this city. And so, like, there has been a lot of back and forth. And there are certainly people that I think aren't that into the arch. Like, they think it's kind of better left off the table. Like, why do we need it? You know, we've got the cauldron. We've got the torch. Like, (laughs) let's move on. And those people are me. (laughs) Oh, you, you don't like the arch. Um, I think it's a little grotesque. Yeah, I mean, but so. (laughs) Sure, lots of things are. I I agree. I think it's a little, uh, it's out there, but like in, again, 2023, now we're like, there's like the big Vegas sphere eyeball, right? Like Mm -hmm. doing weird, grotesque sort of uh, artwork is is now back, is now in vogue. (laughs) I don't know. But do we need it back? Yes. That's the tale. That's the tale. You learned something today. I feel caught up. Can I mention one other thing? You mentioned the, the Wikipedia page for the Hoberman Arch being extremely <laughs> yeah. pro Hoberman Arch. Uh, yeah. The Wikipedia page for Rocky Anderson is also extremely pro Rocky Anderson. And maybe <laughs> those two things are related. I, I don't know. I have a look at the IP address of the Wikipedia edit history. 
I just maybe there's a the, the correlation there uh, that explains that. Listen, you know, running for office is not a game of humility, <laughs> and that's that's the the truest thing I ever learned working in politics. All right, before we get out of here, let's do our picks of the week. Andy, I've been talking a lot. What is your pick of the week? All right, so mine is another piece of news from this week. Uh, it is the new Zion National Park Discovery Center, the new yeah. visitor center, which is kind of crazy. First of all, it's gigantic. They say 452 jobs will be created with the opening of this center. It's on Whoa. 19 acres. That's a ton of space for a visitor center, right? We love rural jobs. And then the other weird thing about it is it's not on the west side of the park in Springdale, which is where most of the visitors of the park go to. It's on the east side. And they're hoping that they get more traffic into the east entrance and mm. kind of spread out the, the visitation traffic a little bit by building it. Mm. So a couple thoughts. One, it looks cool. Um, I'm it, it will be completed in 2025, and like I'm excited to visit. I I don't know about you, but I love national park visitor centers. Mm-hmm. A- and then I'm just kind of curious about how this goes. Like, will anyone go to the east side just to go to this visitor center because it's new? I mean, maybe we'll we'll see. But it means a lot more driving from Salt Lake and Vegas, you know, which are kind of the the big metro areas to to get to to Zion from. It'll it'll be interesting. When do you think is the best time of year to go to Zion as like a as a Utah? Honestly, like February and March, because no one is on summer vacation yet and the traffic and parking is not that bad. Uh, Zion, you can actually still drive through um, when it's early in the winter or or during the winter Mm -hmm. season rather than having to take Mm -hmm. the buses around, which is which is kind of nice. It gives you a little bit of freedom to your visit, if you will. Look, I love seeing investment in our national parks. America's best idea. Thanks, Teddy. Okay, my pick of the week is apparently not news, according to anyone but me, and I'll tell you why in a minute. Former Backstreet Boy AJ McLean is the new face of Minky Couture. (laughs) And you know that if you have driven on I-15 North and seen that billboard right before the Salt Lake City exit of him just cuddled up with a Minky blanket looking exactly like former Backstreet Boy AJ McLean. And I nearly drove off the side of the road when I saw it because I just think it is, I love SpawnCon, like celebrity-sponsored content. I, it's just one of my favorite genres. And I wanted to know more, so I typed AJ McLean Minky Couture into Google and hit News, and this is what it said. Huh, your search AJ McLean Minky Couture did not match any news <laughs> results. So would you recognize AJ McLean if you saw him on the street? Yeah, I think I would. But I mean, like, I am 31. I am just like all the stars aligned for AJ McLean to be a face that I would recognize on the side of the street. Follow up question. Yeah. Is it more likely to make you buy a Minky Couture blanket? No. And specifically because the Minky Couture by Alexander James, which today we learned AJ is short for Alexander James, collection is their black label. And these blankets start at $109 for the infant size. If you want a grande, which is 60 inches by 84 inches, which is the appropriate size of like a true cuddle blanket, you're going to need $329. Oh my goodness. So basically the AJ McLean, but the Backstreet Boy markup is $250 or something like. <laughs> it's there. Yeah, because a regular Minky Couture blanket starts at like $80. So oh, yeah, yeah, you're looking so at like, 
about 20% markup on the Backstreet Boy acclaim. I mean, the other thing about this that I think is really noteworthy is that the these are called the Hugs Blankets. Um, there are five nail polish colors from AJ McLean's Ava Dean beauty line that match the blankets. So you can paint your nails the exact same color so that they get sort of lost in your blanket when you're cuddled up in it. Allie, that was the <laughs> detail that got me. I'm so in now. Thank you this so much for telling me. This is such a Utah brand, and this is such a weird niche like marketing partnership. I can't believe there's no news results. Like, I cannot believe that <laughs> Us Weekly, that Just Jared, that like some gossip rag has not picked this up. AJ McLean is no longer a famous person. Oh my god! And okay. I'm 32. Right, like, I'm the same go. age as you are. Like, I'm sorry, it's over. We were talking about Brooks and Dunn earlier, and and Dave Matthews may be more relevant than AJ. McLean. In fact, I'm going to just yeah. say that they are. I think on that, Andy Larson, we can agree. And I bid you adieu. <laughs> Thank you so much for spending this time with me. I hope you have a great weekend. You too. Thanks again for having me. That is all for us today here on CityCast Salt Lake. Our lead producer is Emily Means. Our producers are Ivana Martinez, Lizzie Goldsmith, and A.K. Almumen. Our newsletter editor is Terina Ria, and our host is me, Ali Vallarta. Music is by the local band Mitochondria, with additional music from all the kimonos. We will be back Monday morning with more from around this city. Have a great weekend.